Well, if you would turn in your Bibles, at least the ones that are on your seats, to um, that passage that Olivia just read for us from Colossians 3. We're going to be looking at those verses in just a moment. That's on page 984 of those Bibles in the seats. Again, that's Colossians 3. And as you turn, can we pray? Father, thank you for this beautiful day that we have, Lord, and and thank you for the privilege it is to be able to gather and to look at your word together. Lord, we do pray as we were just singing now that you would please speak through it, Lord. We long to see more of you and behold more of you, that we might enjoy you and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to get to that passage in Colossians 3 in just a moment. If you're new with us this morning, you um, would have heard me share in the last uh, several months since I've been here that there was a time in which I lived in England for two years, and I was working with the church there, working amongst college students, and we would meet um, with students that were Christians. We would also meet with a number of students that weren't Christians, and one of the things that we did was we talked to the non-Christian students and tried to learn just a little bit more about what their understanding of Christianity was. And we would, we would sit down with them in coffee shops and at other events and say, um, t- tell me a little bit more about what it means to you based on your experiences and your upbringing to meet a Christian. Or sorry, uh, I'm sorry, tell me what it has meant to you to, to be a Christian based on what you've seen in other people. And it was very interesting. They would often share things like this. Um, well, uh, my sense is that being a Christian means uh, either going to church or maybe being involved in a Bible study or maybe helping people in some way, helping poor people or helping people in need. They would talk about certain things that Christians do. Then they would also talk about things that Christians, it seems like, are supposed to avoid. So other people, we would say, what does it mean to you to be a Christian? And they would say, like, well, um, uh, maybe things like uh, not having sex outside of marriage or um, not drinking more than you should or maybe at all. Um, or not gambling, they would list this long list of things that they thought Christians should avoid. Now, it didn't take long to hear these responses and realize that there was something that a lot of these responses had in common, and that was when we were asking them what their conception of the Christian life was, it wasn't in their response what Christians believed. It was how Christians behaved, Now, some of you might be thinking um, that where this sermon's going to go from here is for me to then go on and say, no, but don't you get it? Christianity is not about behavior. It's about exclusively our our faith in Jesus uh, and trusting in him. And that's actually not where we're going to go this morning. I want to suggest, though it's true, it is about our faith in Jesus, but I want to suggest that as we think about those responses that some of our students would give, there there was something that they were getting right and there was something that they were getting wrong. Let me start with what they were getting wrong. What, what, what was the problem? Well, the problem was that they would talk about these things that Christians do, whether it be going to church or reading the Bible, as if these were things that we had to do in order to appeal to God, in order to get God to love us and to be more righteous before him. But we know that that's not true. And if you've been a part of St. Peter's for some time, you know we talk all the time about the fact that we know Um, We are accepted by God because of putting our faith in Jesus. We don't have to do anything 
to earn his love or his approval. We, we have that as we've been united to Jesus through faith. So, th- so they didn't get that right. What did they get right? What they did get right is that there should be some sort of connection, according to the Bible, between what Christians believe and how we live in the world. There, there's, there's something there that's, that's supposed to um, connect what we know to be true about Jesus and what we know to be true about us and the way that we relate to other people, um, the way that we face the harder things in life. Every area of life should be impacted by our faith in some way. And this is, um, this is why we saw a couple weeks ago, if you were here earlier in our series in Colossians 1, we talked about the fact that Christians are called to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. This week, as we continue in this series that we've been in in Colossians, we're again going to be reminded that Christians are called to live differently, but not in order to get God to respond to us, but in order, this is important, to respond to what God has already done for us. That's why we live this way. And we're going to see this laid out in this passage that we have in chapter 3 today. Paul's going to start out saying that if anyone is in Christ the New Testament says, if anyone's a Christian, we're an entirely new person. And part of being a new person involves at least two things. It involves forsaking old ways, old patterns of our life. He uses the language of putting off the old self and embracing a new and, and better way of life. Putting on the new, he says. So that's what we're going to look at this morning for just the next couple minutes. Three parts, really. First part, number one, if we're in Christ, we're a new person. Part number two, so let's leave our old ways behind. And part number three, and embrace a new and a better way. So let's now get into our passage. Part number one, if you're in Christ, you're a new person. You're a totally new person. This is one of the most important things that we can know about. Every time that Paul, we need to know this, every time he's writing about Christian behavior, Notice the Apostle Paul starts out first writing about what has taken place for us in Christ. So, so as we come to a passage like this, for example, which is one of the most important passages in the New Testament, thinking about the Christian life, notice how it starts out uh, in verse 1 of chapter 3. Look at, read it with me if you don't mind. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if you've got those uh, verses in front of you, if you're looking at this now, let's just look at some of those verses and think about the statements that are being made about us and about God. So look at verse number one. It talks about us being raised with Christ. What does that mean? Is, is Paul confused as to whether or not those of us who have put our, our faith in Jesus have been raised from the dead already? Obviously, no. What is he talking about? He, he is saying that in the same way that Jesus was raised from the dead, because we put our faith in him, through putting our faith in him and being united to him, there's a sense in which we have been raised already, and we know we will be raised in the last day. We have new life. Verse number three, you've died, 
Okay, obviously, again, Paul's not confused. He doesn't think that we've died physically, but what he's talking about is the sort of death that Jesus seemed to refer to when you read about his interactions in the Gospels. There's, there's a turning away from our former selves before who we were when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We, we, there's, a, there's a sense in which we have been put to death. And then verse 5, notice, Paul says that Jesus is our life. He, that's, a, that's an interesting thing to say. Notice he doesn't say, now Jesus, who's part of your life. Jesus, he says, when, when Christ, who is our life, appears. In other words, he, Jesus, in the Christian life, Jesus Christ isn't just a drawer in the dresser that is our Christian life. Okay, He is, some of you have heard that analogy, he's the whole piece of furniture. Everything in our life falls into who he is because of who he is for us. And when he appears one day, Paul says, we're going to be with him. That's who we are in Jesus. We're an entirely different person. Now, one of the hard things that I've experienced, I can't speak for you, but I know when I read the Bible, is you read verses like this, verses 1 through 4, and there are some parts of the Bible where it is so easy to read through some verses pretty quickly, and we just kind of tend to gloss over them and just read on without having to slow down and think about the weight of what we've read about, you know, or, or the significance of what's just taken place. And I, I want to use a very um, loose analogy with this. Uh, the fact that we can easily read about something and not meditate about what's going on. I was reading the news last week, and, and some of you heard the story about the, the young men in Morehouse College, and there was a, a commencement uh, speaker there who, as he was speaking, he shared that he was going to forgive the student loans of every young man in the graduating class of 2019. Did you see that? That's a huge amount of money. And what do they do? They're on their feet. They're, they're, you know, screaming, thanking God for what's happened. Now, it took me all of about 30 seconds to read that thing online. You know, I saw the link to it. I clicked on it. I read. I went, wow, that's pretty powerful. I just moved on. But if you're one of those young men, okay, and, and <laughs> you know something life-changing has taken place, and similarly, there are times when we come to a couple verses like these that talk about us having an entirely new life in Jesus. And isn't it true? We sometimes just tend to gloss over what's happened. But think about the, the context of what's happened. Think about Colossians in 121. Paul said that all of us were originally alienated from God. We were all at enmity with God. We, we were hostile towards him. None of us worship him the way that we should do. But now... Because of what he's done for us and through putting our faith in him, we've been rescued. We've been reconciled to him. That's what happens is we have a new life in Christ. So it's, it's one thing to imagine being forgiven of your debt of student loans, whether it's $50,000 or $100,000, $150,000. Who knows how much these people might have had. It's another thing when the debt of your soul has been forgiven. It's another thing to know that you can stand before God now perfectly whole and righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. If you're in Christ, Paul says, you are a new person, and that means you are now called to live differently. That's, that's part number one. You're an entirely new person, according to verses 1 through 5. Or 1 through 4, I should say. And now, because you're a new person, you've got to leave your old ways behind. It's time to leave your old ways behind. That's what we're going to see in this next part. Isn't it interesting in Colossians? On one hand, 
Paul says, did you notice in those last verses, we've already died. On one hand, he says that we've died, and then he goes on and he uses this language that we're to some sort of, in some way, have an active role in putting things to death. Isn't that kind of weird? What does he mean when he says that? We're going to look at verses 5 through 8 right now, if you have that in front of you. Put to death, therefore, Paul says, what's earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you have put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So think about these things for just a second. Paul's just said that in light of who we are, we're to put our minds on the things that are above. And then therefore, he uses that word, therefore, we're to leave behind the old things that really define our lives, okay, the, the things that truly define us. Now, it's very possible you might be sitting there and thinking, okay, that's, that's significant, but I don't know if I would say these things necessarily define me. You know, look at this list, sexual morality, impurity, evil, idolatry. Um, I didn't have everything together, but I probably would have described myself as a decent person. We might be tempted to think that way, but then remember when Remember the way that Jesus talks about sin in the Beatitudes, if you've read that in the Gospels? And remember how he raises the bar in terms of what it means to be righteous before God? He doesn't just talk about the things that we do. He talks about what's going on in our hearts. And so he says, for example, that if we are to look at someone with, with um, that if we entertain thoughts about them sexually in our mind, we may as well have done that physically. Okay? It's just as, as offensive to God. Or he says, if you look at somebody and you look at them with hate in your heart, it's just the same as murdering them physically. It's just as offensive to God. Or covetousness. Okay, that's a lot of syllables. We don't think about being covetous very often. But we can all relate to being jealous, can't we? Every one of us knows what it's like to, to look at somebody else and be jealous of, of um, whether it be their lifestyle, you know, their material things, their homes, their cars, maybe their accomplishments and work, maybe honestly the fact that life's just gone better for them, they haven't had to go through the hard things that we've gone through, or you know, maybe just the way that they look, um, or even being jealous of the person they're dating or their spouse. We experience these things all the time. This is the way we used to be, Paul says. That's what he says in verse 7. In these you two once walked, when you were living in them. But now, now it's time to put them all away. You must put them all away. In other words, one of the paradoxes of the Christian life is that we know we have come, if we've put our faith in Jesus, we've come into a right saying in a relationship with God by grace. It's a free gift. And at the same time, there's this mystery in which we are being invited as we follow Jesus into the new, this new life of having an active role of putting all these things behind us. And if that's the case, one of the things I wanted to ask before we, knew, we move on to this next section is, are there ways, and I, I'm wrestling with this just as much as anyone else, are there ways in which in our lives today there are still things that God is inviting us to put to death and to leave behind as part of our old life? That's going to look different for every one of us. 
I have one friend, a person that I respect uh, very highly and a, a great man of God. Um, this is a person for whom there was a huge stranglehold of pornography in his life, even after he had become a Christian for, for years and years. And that's just because of who he was before he was a Christian. And there came a time in his life where he finally had to say, you know what, this is a big enough deal and it's not changing in a way that I need help. And he got some serious professional help. He had other men also coming alongside in his life. Now he knew he no longer stood in judgment before God because he had been united to Christ and his righteousness by putting his faith in him. But he knew there were still areas of his life where by the power of, his, of the Holy Spirit, he needed to put things behind. And that's what he did. What might those things be for us as we look at a passage like this? Because that's what Paul's asking of us in these verses. We, we've become a new person. These old ways and old patterns of our life, we've got to forsake those. And then finally, part number three, if, if we're to forsake those, equally we are called to embrace a new and a better way of life. Paul says that as, as living out the Christian life in our new identity, we're to press into new ways and new patterns of life. Here's another way of saying this. As Paul talks about Christian conversion in his letters, it's as if the book of our lives, he's saying, when we put our faith in Jesus, there's a chapter in a sense that has come to an end of our lives, and we have begun a whole new chapter. And as that chapter goes on, he's asking us to play a role pressing into these new ways of life. Life's supposed to look different. Now, it would be great at this point to ask, okay, Paul, based on this passage here, how are you saying life's supposed to look different now that I'm a follower of Jesus? Okay, what's supposed to look different? And, and we're, we're going to answer this as we now look at our passage. Are, are we supposed to, um, in this passage, what are you saying, Paul? Am I supposed to now give away more of my money? Am I supposed to be a better husband or um, a, a better wife or, or a, a better parent, maybe, a better co-worker to the people that I work alongside. What is he talking about? One of the things that we're going to see him say is, generally speaking, we're supposed to bring all of our lives into conformity with where our new identity is. And as we do that, he's going to be talking, he's talking about relating to those around us in, in, in two different areas, relating to other people, first in verses 12 through 16, or the first half of 16. And then secondly, he's going to talk about us relating to God in a new way. That's the essence of 16 and 17. So, so let's look just real quick at 12 through 16. Notice, Paul says one of the parts, pardon me, of our new life that we're to be pressing into is the, the way that we relate to other people. And he starts out in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Okay, this is really important as you think about it. Notice, Paul's going to tell us that the Christians here in this church and, and us, we're to live differently, but notice that he starts out before listing this list of Christian virtues. He starts out saying that we're, we don't have to, uh, he's, or he, we can infer from the way that he progresses in his language, we don't have to do these things in order to become holy. Because notice the fact that he starts out saying who we are. Who are we? 
Again, we're chosen ones. We're holy. We're, we're holy ones. We're beloved. Paul's laying out, you want to know who you are as you press into these things. This is who you are. So don't see this list, in other words, of ways that we then become loved by him, that we are now made holy, okay? that we are now finally chosen by God. We, those things have already happened. Paul's saying it's in light of those things that we're just supposed to live in a new way. And what are the ways that we're supposed to live? Look at what he says. With compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and as he goes on in the rest of the list, notice this. All these traits that Paul talks about in this passage, these all interestingly happen to relate to other people, don't they? Look at this again. Com compassion. You can't, be com you can't be compassionate unless there's other people to be compassionate to. Okay. Kindness. It's hard to be kind unless you've got someone to be kind with. Hum humility, meekness, patience. You can't be these things if you are an island and you're the only person that lives on it. You can't be them. It's actually why it's really important to say why we believe in a Trinitarian God, a God of three persons, because you can't say that God is compassionate or inherently kind or any of these other things if there's no one else. We have to have other persons of the Trinity for him to be these things. And what he's saying for us is that as we follow Jesus, that is, as Paul's saying that, we are to be a new people, particularly in the way that we relate to those around us, even to the extent that when it comes to our relationships with other people, we're willing to at times sacrifice our own security or even um, our own, sometimes relationships with other people for their good. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. That's what he's talking about as he talks about admonishing one another, um, teaching one another. There are times in the Christian life that when one of the ways that we're supposed to be compassionate with one another, one of the ways that we're going to be kind is actually by at times telling someone the truth that might not be easy to say. Not because we're better than them, but because they desperately need to hear about something that might be a blind spot for them. That's one of the ways that we're to relate to people in a new way, according to Paul. Relating to other people, now defined by love. But then secondly, we have a whole new way of embracing the way that we relate to God. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you keep going, singing hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then continuing in 17 with this great verse. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God, the Father through him. So think about this for just a second. If we become a new person in Jesus, if we started the Christian life, we're conscious of at least two things that have changed. As we've already said, we now are relating to the people around us in a new way. But now we're, we're relating to God in a new way. And, and specifically, we're relating to Him in a new way in regards to our, our praise and our motivations. One, our praise we start relating to God in, in a way that we normally didn't, which is we find a natural love in ourselves for him. We find a love that wasn't there. Some of you have experienced that if you've um, fallen in love with someone before, maybe thinking about meeting your spouse for the first time. Um, you didn't know them before. You didn't have these feelings. But, but then you met them, and now what happened? You just became a fool for them. You would be pumping your gas, and you're thinking about this person. 
Or, or maybe you're brushing your teeth and your mind just naturally goes to them. Okay? You can't help but think about them. That's the nature of praise. And what he's talking about is as we're singing hymns and songs and, and spiritual songs, that's having a life with a love for God. I think it's pretty sure if you look at the top 40, the, the billboard top 40, most of our, our songs are still defined by love that someone has for somebody else. That, that's just the way that our hearts explode with praise. And as new followers of God, that's, that's a huge part of our life, Paul's saying. But not just with our praise, but also with our motivations. That's what it's talking about in verse 17. Whatever we do now, we're doing motivated by giving glory to God. Doing everything in the name of God or in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I just want to summarize these points right here. How do we ever have the hope to do these things? Some of, us, some of us do not hear this as one of those sermons on legalism. That's not what this is today. It's talking about what is the new life in Christ that we're being invited into, the good life. You know how we ha- we're able to do this aside from the necessary dependence on the Holy Spirit that we're called to? It's because this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. You want to know how to be compassionate to other people? Look at what Jesus did for you. Look at the way that he laid down his life for you. You want to know how to be kind? Look at the way that the king of the universe got down on his, on his knees and washed the feet of sinners. You want to look, know how to uh, do things in, with a heart that's motivated by a love for God and not by a love for self. Again, look at Jesus. Look at the way that he did everything in submission to the Father. Everything that he would be able to give glory to him. And so what I want to do now as we wrap up looking at this passage um, just want to think about this call that Paul is laying out for the, for the Colossians and for us in this life that he's calling to. Again, to return uh, pr- particularly to the last two parts. As, as we think about forsaking our old lives and embracing the new life, the new self that he's calling us to through the power of the Holy Spirit. What are ways that you find yourself resistant to that? Because I think all of us can experience that in some way. To go back to what I said earlier, what, what are patterns or habits of your own, in your old life, that it's not easy to give up? And, and, and my prayer is that, again, I share this sometimes, maybe as we come to the table, God's going to identify for you ways that you, he's not judging you. You're not under his judgment anymore, but he is calling you to say, hey, you're a new person now. You're, you're mine now. You're holy now. Leave that behind. And, and what are ways in which he is inviting us into a new life of loving the people around us and loving him in a way that we, we, we actually might not be pressing into yet, whether that be the, the people that we live with, uh, our neighbors, or maybe it's a new sense of joy that he's calling us into that we've never experienced before. Maybe a final lens to think through as we think about, well, how do I know when the things that I'm doing are part of my old life and, and part of, or part of the new self, the new life that Paul's calling us to, to live into? I think that verse 17 is a great lens. Whatever that thing might be, as we do it, can we do it in the name of the Lord? Whatever it is, whether that be sleep or recreation 
or spending time with other friends, should we not be praying, God, is this something that I can do to, to the good of your name, for the glory of your name? If it's not, it's probably not something we should be doing. Probably not something I should be doing. Probably not something that you should be doing. Because we are being called as a new people to leave that former life behind and to press into the new people, the chosen, the holy, and the love God, the love people that God has made us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what has been done for us in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you not only um, give us a new identity, but then you give us a new lifestyle, Lord, that rescues us from ourselves and then that gives glory to you as other people see us. Please, Lord, would you lead us to identify, maybe even this afternoon as we leave this building and think about this passage today, ways that you're inviting us to step further out of the life that we had before we knew you and pressing it further into the life that you've prepared for us to walk in as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.